Our scripture reading today is from Hebrews 10, 19 through 25. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have boldness to enter the sanctuary through the blood of Jesus, he has inaugurated for us a new and living way through the curtain, that is, through his flesh. And since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience, and our bodies washed in pure water. Let us hold on to the confession of our hope without wavering, since he who promised is faithful. And let us watch out for one another to provoke love and good works, not neglecting to gather together, as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging each other, and all the more as you see the day approaching. This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated. Well, uh, good morning, everyone. Uh, if I don't know you, my name's Andrew. I'm uh, one of the pastors here on staff. And I wanted to start off uh, this morning with a question. So imagine there's, a, there's like a, a pill out there. It's FDA approved. You get it at your local pharmacy. Uh, that is uh, guaranteed to help you live longer, have more joy, experience more purpose in everything that you do. And all you have to do is take it once a week, right? All you have to do is add one habit to your week, and if you do it, right, you'll, ha- you'll be happier, healthier, more productive, would you do it? As a teaching team, we ran across a couple studies that have recently been done, and we were, I, frankly, I was kind of blown away by, by this stuff. One was recently done uh, by the National Geographic, it's called Blue Zones, and uh, essentially what uh, these researchers did is they, they wanted to reverse engineer longevity. So they looked at uh, cultures all over the world, and they picked certain people groups uh, within that uh, culture that, that tended to outlive their, their counterpart. They did this all over the world, kind of to see what do the, all these groups have in common that seem to contribute to longevity, to long life. And uh, so there's a few there that you probably uh, would have guessed. One was that they move naturally, so they, the tendency to be active. Um, most practice what the researchers called the 80% rule, so they they uh, eat until they're about 80% full, and they stop. Uh, they don't keep eating, so they kind of keep their weight down that way. Uh, most had a plant slant, uh, meaning they ate more fruits and vegetables and kind of less meat, which was, that was the hardest one for me to read. Uh, there was also uh, a few that really resonated with this series that we've been in, uh, if you've been with us. Uh, one, was, one characteristic was called downshift, and people who live longer have a tendency to, to rest well and uh, to do that regularly. Uh, we talked about that a few weeks ago. Uh, one was loved ones first, so kind of prioritizing our, our most important relationships in life, uh, and, uh, <clears throat> whether that's a, a, in a marriage or a family or in friendship, community. Uh, and there was one called purpose. So people who live long tend to have a very concrete idea of why their lives matter and why what they do matters. Uh, obviously, that's kind of been the big idea of this series. Here's the one that I think really surprised these researchers Uh, They called it belong. People who live longer belong. And here's what they found. Over 98% of folks who live over 100 that they studied uh, belonged to a faith-based community. Over 98% of people who live over 100 uh, are part of a faith-based community. Here's the direct quote from the study. It says, research shows that attending a faith-based service four times a month will add between four to 14 years of life expectancy. So all you actuaries out there, you need to write that down, add that to your algorithm. So (laughs) 
charge me less money. No, that's, I'm sorry. Okay, so <laughs> just to recap, right? How many of those characteristics that I just named happen right, right here in this church family? So that's an encouraging sign. This last part, though, that belong part, was actually reinforced by some other researchers at Harvard uh, in, within the last five years who found that people who attend church, this was kind of now based in the U.S., people who attend church um, are much more likely to be physically, emotionally, and mentally healthy, healthier compared to their counterpart. Uh, USA Today actually published about this study uh, and the research that was done. Here was the title, I kid you not, Religion May Be a Miracle Drug. Now, listen, I, I, know, I, I feel like I'm preaching to the choir, right? It's like, we're all here, Andrew. <laughs> we showed up. Maybe some more willingly than others, but you're here and you came, and that's great. But if, maybe this is just me. I don't think it is. But it feels like just getting here is harder than it's ever been. It seems to me like church feels less and less like this non-negotiable thing that we do no matter what. And more like an option, maybe a really, really good option, but an option among many things we could possibly do uh, with our time on a Sunday morning, this uh, with our week. It feels like there's this um, calculus that we increasingly have to wrestle with uh, on our Saturday nights, right? It's like, okay, tomorrow, church or sports? Church or sleep, right? It's like I overworked this week, I'm exhausted. Uh, Church or brunch? because people love brunch, right? There's just a lot else to do. There's more options. And, you know, I think it's fair to ask if you're here and you are wrestling with this, like, well, what's the point of being here? What does it really add value? What, maybe one day you woke up and, and you grew up in the church and you thought, man, if my parents hadn't drugged me to church for 18 years and I didn't feel guilty about missing, would I, would I even be in the habit of coming at all? What, what do I really get out of this time? It's a good question. And the answer to that question, and it's what I want to talk about primarily this morning, uh, is that Sunday really matters. Sunday matters. I know we're literally in a series about Monday. (laughs) I get it. Uh, And if you've been around uh, Christ's community for any amount of time, you've heard the phrase, the Sunday to Monday gap. We're passionate about that, about connecting what we do when we gather together, our faith, right, our Sunday worship to what we do every day on Monday and throughout the week. We're passionate about filling that gap, making sure um, this is relevant to where God has us throughout our week. But you guys, that gap today, what I want to highlight, that gap works both ways. Yes, we've got to connect this time to real life out there on mission with God where where He has us. But if we have any hope of making it out there, as it were, right? In real life, where God has us this week. If we have any hope of doing that, we've got to be here. The research shows it, and God's Word shows it. So here's what I'm hoping uh, we see together today, is that your Monday needs a good Sunday. Your Monday needs a good Sunday. If we have any hope of being who we are called to be, you need a good Sunday, and we need it every week. So look, look at Hebrews 10 together this morning. That's the text we're going to be in. It was just read a few minutes ago. Hebrews chapter 10. There's a lot in this passage that we're going to look at, but the reason this stood out to us is we thought about this mark of loving the local church, right, as, as one of the key disciplines, characteristics of an apprentice of Jesus. The reason this text stood out to us is really in verse 25, where the author of Hebrews says, don't neglect to meet together. 
And we're going to get to that verse in a few minutes. But the big idea here is that this church that this letter was written to was beginning to drift. You see it all throughout the letter. They're drifting. That's a, it was a temptation for them. It's a temptation for us today too. And you guys, I don't say this to guilt anyone, uh, but I think we need to hear this. You know, our, by, our math isn't perfect here, but at Christ Community, we, we've been watching, okay, how, how, what are the kind of some attendance patterns that we see really across the board by our estimates? Uh, over, a little over half of, of our folks who attend on a Sunday morning uh, come about two or fewer times a month to church. Again, I don't say that to guilt anyone, but we need, we need to know that. And we just don't think that's enough. We want to see that number go up. Because we, not because it's self, in some self-serving way, but we think this is, we're not going to be prepared for Monday without this time. And three reasons why. This is what I want to talk about. Three reasons why. The first reason we need this time is because our Monday needs acceptance. That's language right out of Hebrews. We need acceptance. We need Sunday because Monday needs acceptance. When we walk out of here today, and I, I hardly need to tell you this, but make no mistake, we are, walk, we are walking into a world that is anxious and lonely and isolated. And because of that, it is a world that is more driven than ever to prove that we are good enough and we're smart enough and doggone it, people like us. <laughs> in fact, I just saw this in the New York Times um, and I, I should have looked up the title, uh, but it, uh, between services, so I couldn't remember it last service either. But the, the, the big idea was this concept called millennial hustle. And essentially the author was saying, you know, for millennials, so that's 38 and under, or 38 to 25 right now, I mean, it depends on how you slice it. But this younger generation, as they move into the workforce, uh, are overworking at epidemic levels because it is so core to the identity of those people, right? That I think there's part of this is, right, the, the tech boom, right? We, I got to work, work, work. That is everything. My job performance is, and it's killing us. We're performing, right? We, we go out to a world that craves acceptance because every human being needs it. We, every human being needs someone to say over them, we love you and you're accepted, but we're not finding it on the internet and we're not finding it in our friendships and, and the only way we know how to get it is to perform and to push down whatever guilt or shame is in our lives because God forbid if someone saw that, they would know that I'm unacceptable. This is, this is the world we walk out to, but that is not the world here. That is not true here. This place Maybe for some of you, this one day of the week in our lives where we find and remember, yes, we are, we are accepted, where we confess our guilt and our shame and we are loved and accepted anyway, where shame doesn't push us apart, but it brings us together under the grace of God. But here's the difference. All of that is true, not because of what we have done or what we promised to do, but because of what Jesus has done. So listen to this command from Hebrews to, uh, to, to that church and to this church. Verse 19, therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is through his flesh, that's his death, 
And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. So because of Jesus and his blood shed for you and for me, if we are truly following him and we believe in him, we place our faith in him, you've been given a new heart, your conscience is sprinkled clean, you're washed And you have a great high priest in Jesus over the house of God. And when we approach God, don't miss this, we do it with confidence. In full assurance is the language here. No more shame, no more jockeying for position, no more fear, because your identity in Christ is secure by what He has done. This is what God has done for you. And this community right here, this time together, in fact, is when we get to practice and remember and taste that freedom again and reinforce our joy and tell this story to each other again, the story that what God says about us matters more than anything someone else or we tell ourselves when we walk out these doors that, go, that who God says we are, we are. That's what this time is for. And you're going to need that story tomorrow. Right? I do. Right? When, you, when you walk into that middle school and people are saying things to you and about you and behind your back, you're going to need to remember right, the whisper of Jesus saying, I love you, you the, the whisper of the Father, you, you, you're my son, you're my daughter, I'm well pleased with you. When you're <laughs> at home changing diapers and you want to scream and you feel like, does this matter? What am I doing? You need to remember the Father says, I see you, I delight in you. And yes, what you do matters profoundly. Right? When, you, when your boss or your client or your patient or your students, they get your blood pressure up, you need to remember Jesus' invitation, come to me. I'll give you rest. Right now, I'll give you rest. In this moment. We, we need that. And this is where once a week we remember and we sing, and some of you, some better than others, right? But we sing and we learn and we hear this story again before we go back out because your Monday needs acceptance. And we aren't perfect at this as a church. I know we can grow, but I believe we can experience that here. So that's one, we need acceptance. But second, we need hope. We need Sunday because our Monday needs hope. This is the next command. Look at verse 23. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. Your Monday needs hope. And and I know mine does. And I'll give you a visceral example from my life, right? Part of my job is literally on Monday morning opening the Bible to a specific text that we've planned ahead and saying, God, if you don't help me right now, I'm in big trouble. Because however I feel about this, Sunday's coming. (laughs) God, I need you. I need to know you're with me. I need to know you're helping me. Anyone relate to that? You ever have a moment like that? Like, God, you've got to show up right now. I know you're here already, but I need you to show up. God, if you don't take over this meeting right now, bad things are going to happen. If you don't give me wisdom right now, I'm going to make a bad decision. If you don't give me patience with him or with her right now, I'm going to say something I shouldn't. Or when you get that phone call in the middle of the night, or you're sitting on the edge of your bed with your kid, 
and they say something to you about them that you didn't know, something hard, and you say, God, if you don't give me the words right now, I need to know that you're with me. I need to hope that the one who promised is faithful to be there with me. We need hope like that. But hope is like a bucket, especially if you're a pessimist like me. But I think it's true for everybody. It's like a bucket with holes in it. And it leaks. It drains without care and attention. Okay, when you feel afraid or alone or overwhelmed or ashamed or tempted or distracted, it leaks. And you guys, we talked a lot about this. And the yoke of Jesus, when we train with him in this life of rest, he's called us, we talked about this, we should be refilling that bucket on our own. In prayer and solitude, Bible study, rest. Okay, these are not things that earn favor with God. They help us to experience the life that he's given as a gift to us. We should be doing that on our own, but you cannot do that alone. You weren't supposed to. You weren't designed to. I need your help to fill me up. When I see you living in hope, when I hear you singing, and maybe I don't feel like it, when I hear you telling a story, saying to someone else, right, God showed up for me, I say, yeah, that's right. God shows up. I'd forgotten that. But now I remember. We retell the story again of who God is, that he's faithful, and it refills our hope, and we carry it back out with us again this bucket. Believing that our Monday matters, that God sees and delights in what we do and that we can serve him in everything that we do. We have hope in our suffering that we encounter, in the mundaneness that maybe you encounter, that there's meaning in it. But if you're not committed to a church regularly, weekly, okay, and you're here right now and you're like, my bucket is dry, I'm not surprised. And I kid you not, as a pastor, one of the, the scariest thing for me, okay, it's not Christians in the church who are, who are struggling with doubt or are frustrated or are hurt or are lonely. It's not people who don't believe at all who are those things in the church. I love that. What scares me the most as a pastor is a Christian without a church. Because there's only a matter of time before that hope gets beaten out of you. And you have no one to, to help you remember it. And you're going to lose it. Because our Monday needs hope. We need it. Okay, last, last thing. And perhaps this is the one we miss the most. Our, our, uh, <clears throat> our Monday needs us. Sunday matters because our Monday needs us. It needs the best of us. And so often we think church is, is this place where we come and we get something out of it. And I sincerely hope that you do. Whether that's Sunday or a Bible study or a, however you engage, that, you're, that you are getting something out of it. That's important. But you know what? So much of this stuff that we're doing is really about preparing us for what the world needs from us. So listen to this command, this last command here, verse 24. Let us consider how to stir up one another. That Greek is literally like provoke or almost annoy. Let's annoy each other to love and good works. Not neglecting to meet together, this is the habit of some, but encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day drawing near. Now that phrase, good works, sometimes you read that, if you've been in church for a while, you think, oh, that means like making coffee and right in the, in the cafe, and it means shaking hands and maybe taking care of kids. And you know, hospitality on a Sunday, and, and all, we want to be a hospitable place. We need that. But it's so much more than that. 
This, this means the good works God has for each one of us exactly where we are in life all week long. And this is the place where we provoke each other to do them because God has things for us this week that only you can do. Only you are positioned to actually do. And we encourage each other in that because your Monday needs you. God has put things there that only you can do. And Sunday we remember. Now maybe you're here and you're listening and you're thinking, okay, I should probably be here more. You know, thanks, Andrew. But what about when it's like boring and I don't leave feeling warm and fuzzy. First of all, that's really mean for you to say that. Second, <laughs> no one worries about that kind of stuff more than pastors. <laughs> so you're, you're in good company there. But, and, and know this, we work hard to make this time meaningful and thought-provoking and warm and inviting and welcoming. And we strive to get better. And you guys make us so much better at this. But at the end of the day, this is a discipline like any other discipline. It's the habit, that's the, literally the language, the author, it's the habit of meeting together where the good stuff is. It's not in any one Sunday, it's not in any one conversation, it's not in any one community group meeting or Bible study meeting, whatever it is. It's the habit. So let's get practical here. How, how do we grow in this? Okay, I just want to give you a few quick thoughts. The first is show up. Is that obvious? <laughs> it took every, uh, every year of my MDiv to come up with that, but I got, I got it. Okay, show up. Make the radical choice that if you can be here, be here. And listen, I'm not unsympathetic to life. I know that work travel is crazy for a lot of you. I know that vacations are important, and I believe that they are. And sometimes it's like I'm just really, you're really sick or you're, you don't want your kids to get sick. There's, there, are, there are reasons to be gone. I totally get it. What I'm asking from all of us is let's be intentional about why we're gone. Let's really assess that. And maybe a way to get at that is to do a quick audit. My hunch is just like everything in life, it's like you, you kind of think, yeah, I was there last week, but it was a month ago, you know. <laughs> you're like, I'm here a lot, but actually look at it. How, how often are you here? Take a look back at 2018 maybe and track it going forward. How, how often am I actually engaging with my church family in, in, in a week? Some of you are big planners. You have to be just to keep life sane. And you're already planning out your 2019. You're already planning out vacations and work travel and sports stuff, all that good stuff. What if in the midst of that, have you ever done this? Give yourself a Sunday cap. Like I can miss six Sundays this year and that's it. And then plan accordingly, right? Rather than defaulting to that after the fact, reacting, make a plan. Okay, I'm only going to miss six. That would force you to make hard decisions that you probably otherwise would avoid. Like, okay, I, I've got one Sunday to spare here, and I've got, I can either stay one extra day here, or I can uh, go to this baseball tournament or whatever it is, but I have to pick one rather than picking both. And give yourself, you know, don't get caught up in liking it on a, on a Sunday all the time. Some Sundays are better than others for you personally, for me personally. That's okay. Showing up is so much more important than, than liking it all the time. Our habits form us so much more and are so much more important than our preferences. So make it a habit to show up. Okay, show up. Second thing, go deeper. Let's go deeper together. 
Those of you who already have really strong relationships here, you know this, this part, but what makes church really sing is when we're known and we know people who love us and support us. And listen, that doesn't just happen here on a Sunday. That happens in all kinds of ways at Christ's community throughout the week, whether it's a community group or a Bible study, right? These relationships change our lives. And some of you here and you're like, I want that and I, and I need help and we want to help you. But listen, if you're looking around and you're thinking, man, they, they seem to really like each other. How do I get that? What's the secret? It's really not a secret. I'll tell you, as a pastor, right, I, I kind of see who, who really connects and who doesn't. There's some key characteristics. They're here almost every week. They often serve, at least for seasons. They're in a community group or a small group of some kind. They initiate conversation. They ask for help when they need it. And we want to be here to help you, but if, but if we want church to be all it can be for you, you've got to go deeper here. And to do that, you've really got to kind of put yourself out there. You've got to risk a little bit. And, for, and it's going to be more than Sunday. Our goal is that out of this time comes community groups and Bible studies and uh, morning coffees and that we find deeper relationships here. Okay, third thing, look around. Look around. So show up, go deeper, look around. Remember that church really isn't about you. It's actually about us together. And so many of you, you have great relationships here, you're, you're with me, but that doesn't mean your job is done. Who needs you? You may not need them, but who needs you? And listen, guys, on a larger scale, this is why we plant churches at Christ Community. Because there are more people in Kansas City who need this kind of community, then we can possibly serve and love here. And so we multiply ourselves, and we send out our best leaders, and we give generously to the mission of Christ's community, not just our own campus, so that, that can, so that people can show up at other places around our city and go deeper and look around. This is who we've always wanted to be and how we always strive to be this. And even right here at our own campus, we can get better at this. And in so many ways, this is just so timely as a staff, we've been talking about how do we get better at looking around, even just on a Sunday, as a staff? How do we do that? How do we continue, for example, to learn new people's names and remember them? Right? How, how can we be a caring family without learning names? How, how important is that? How do we get better at that? This is something that we all, we all have to do as well. So meet people, pursue, pursue people that you don't know. Uh, Smile once in a while. Talk to someone new that you don't know. I know we're kind of big, and so that's a little hard. But we can do this. I, and I get it, right? Some of you are like, well, what about that time I went up to someone, I kind of put myself out there, and I said, hey, are you new here? And they said, I've been here for seven years. <laughs> right? Or they said, I'm Randy Bonifield. I play. <laughs> it's nice to meet you, though. Right? So here's a little trick. Instead of saying, are you new here? Say, how long have you been coming? Everybody has an answer to that. How long have you been coming? It's a great way to start a conversation. And when we do that, even just that really simple act of knowing someone's name or inviting them for coffee, we're telling each other every Sunday, you are accepted here. You can find hope here. There's a meaning in your life that maybe you don't even know yet, but we can help you to see that. And we can take that with us on Monday 
And we can become a signpost to a world that is desperate that there is a different way to live. There's a better way. And that, that's what happened to me. That's why I'm here. You know, before I was a Christian, um, my, my biggest hang-up, I had a lot, but my biggest hang-up with Christianity was the church. That's a very common tale these days, actually. It was the church. And, I, you know, I, I attended on Christmas Eve and Easter twice a year, and I just remember thinking, this place is a joke. I, was only, I didn't really know it, but I was only there two times a year, and so I could think whatever I wanted to think about it. And I said, this is, a, this is lame. I don't want to do this. Until... I met Christians in my Monday, which at the time I was a student. And I met Christians there on Monday. And they loved me and they put up with me. <laughs> and they accepted me and they gave me hope. And they, they lived a quality of life, even just doing their homework, that I, I had to admit I don't have that. But I wanted it. And even when I wasn't ready emotionally, intellectually yet, to believe in Jesus that what I couldn't say anymore is the church is a joke. Didn't believe that. Until one day my friends invited me on a Sunday and I went to church and I, I remember leaving and I, I, I begrudgingly kind of said to myself, okay, I guess this Jesus thing is, is probably true because I don't know how else to explain these people. They don't make any sense to me. Now, I'm a pastor, so maybe you've expected me to have a story like that. But listen, I'm not the only one who loves church. I'm not the only one who loves this church. In fact, I'm not the one who loves this church the most. Jesus died for this church. Right? He, didn't, he didn't just die for you and me as individuals. He died to make this right here happen. That's how much he loves this place. And when we live these things out, Monday changes. It's transformed. That's how Jesus does things with this church. And he's doing it here. He's doing it with us. There's a story I want you guys to see of two, uh, two families here at, at Christ Community. They didn't know each other. Uh, one attends here. One attends at our Olathe campus. But their Mondays, you guys, collided in this God-ordained way. And I want you to see it. Let's watch we always wanted, knew that we wanted to have a bigger family. For me, it came down to, okay, well, f four is kind of a lot, so I want a bigger family, but so, so it was kind of always a joke. I always said, well, let's either have three or four, whichever one comes first. He literally said that, <laughs> and God was like, <laughs> I like made an appointment to get labs done, and sure enough, they said, you know, like, you're pregnant. And they, uh, they wanted us to come in for an ultrasound because Caitlin's HCG levels were a little bit high and uh, that's when we met Lisa. My name's Lisa Linhart, and I work in ultrasound, and I work now in this uh, very small specialty of ultrasound and reproductive endocrinology. We made the connection that we both went to Christ Community, and so um, that's when we were like, um, I don't know, I just feel like God had that all in his hands, like just the perfect timing of the people he placed in our lives. So we had gone in for like our first ultrasound. So we hugged and said hello, and I kind of said a, a quiet prayer in my head that we would see a heartbeat that day. And so I brought him back and started scanning. I don't remember what she said, something about like, so when you see a little circle or a little dot right there, like that, 
means that that's a, there's a baby right there. And immediately knew that it was a multiple pregnancy. And it's not unusual for us to see twins, but anything more than that is um, pretty unusual, pretty rare. And so I knew right away that this was gonna be some um, big news that I'd have to deliver. <laughs> we sort of like looked up at the screen and we could like clearly see that there were like three dots. And um, all I could do was just like laugh at like, oh my gosh, like. I didn't laugh. <laughs> Next week they came back, seven days later, and this time counted one, two, three, four heartbeats. At that point, sort of shaking and just like, oh my goodness, like four, like, I mean, I knew three was a lot, but like, what does that do for like my body, for the babies? I do just count it an honor and a privilege to, to walk through these moments with people. It's hard to hear, but like that, like the chance of all four of them making it, um, um, is very slim and um, it was less than one percent but at the same time we knew that it was in God's hands. We see a lot of success but we also see a lot of um, a lot of loss and people come in carrying a lot of pain and some of that is seen and most of it is unseen and Caitlin and I kept going back to, I mean, what's the smartest thing to do? Uh, the smartest thing to do is, I mean, lean on our faith um, and, and let God do this because this is all in His hands. If you came to our house today, I mean, you would obviously hear um, lots of um, crying and lots of um, little ones crawling around, crumbs on the floor, and um, life is never what we expected it to look like, but in a great way. So yeah, it's changing lots and lots of dirty diapers and cleaning up lots and lots of spit up still and washing like at least two or three loads of laundry every day. I don't know who said it to who, but um, just when all the kids were going crazy and I was about to rip out my hair, um, we were just like, you know what? We have to embrace the chaos. Um, and so that's something that we've really been living by. From the very beginning, we could not have done it without our church family and our family. We were just blown away at people's generosity and just knowing that that they're, they're praying for us and that they took the time to make us a meal or to pick us up some food. I mean, there were even times that I was picking up meals from people that I didn't even know who they were um, that, that go to our church and that were just blessing us in that way. It's beautiful to look back. It was terrifying and still is terrifying, but it just, it's beautiful to look back. If you are here and you're thinking, does church really matter? Can God do anything with my life? I, I don't know of a better answer to those questions than, than that story. And if we can be this kind of caring family, not only together, but on Monday, we are going to stand out to a world desperate for that. A gal here at church recently put it so much better than I can. She, she and her family suffered a tragic death, unexpected, very painful. And this church, you guys, this congregation rallied around this family. And if you know who you are.
and provided for them in a time of need, last minute. She wrote this note. She put this so well. She said, the local church is the hope of the world. This phrase is very familiar to anyone who's attended a service at Christ Community. However, it's so much more than a phrase. It is a reality that we've lived out this past week. This is who we want to be. This is who God's called us to be. So let's be the church. Tomorrow, today, every day. And let's be here together. One of the things Jesus gave us to do together, to remember as a family, is the Lord's Supper. So we're going to celebrate that now. And there's a reason we have you guys gather in groups of five or six, because it's a time where we come together. And remember, we have assurance of faith. We have a sure hope. And we have a mission from God to go and take out, take with us this week. So if you're here and you're his, you're a follower of Jesus, you are welcome to this table. There are stations all around the room. And when you're ready, please come.